Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So every now and then on Dog Nation Daily, somebody will say something that really kind of stops me in my tracks, and as I'm processing it, I am forced to conclude, wow, that's really different than I expected to hear. We had one of those moments back during the summer on this show when ESPN analyst David Pollack, former UGA great, made a pretty bold claim about the Georgia defense. At the time, I was in my mind thinking, I think we probably even said this in the show, oh, I love David. I think David's a super smart guy. I don't necessarily agree with him on this particular point. However, it may be time to consider the possibility that David was right. Now, what was it that he was right about? Well, I'm going to get to that here coming up more on the uh, show in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to talk about something different here. Georgia obviously returns home on Saturday to take on Auburn after another game on Saturday, this time in the SEC at Missouri, where Georgia just sort of looked a little lackluster, as we discussed yesterday. The punishment for Georgia for that is losing its number one ranking. It now drops down to number two in the polls. Some of the unofficial folks that kind of do their own power rankings or polls even have Georgia at number three behind both Alabama and Ohio State. But in the official polls, coaches and AP, Georgia now number two, Alabama at number one. However, beyond the fact that Georgia is just simply ranked lower than it was, you don't necessarily see a lot of folks abandoning ship on kind of what they think about Georgia as a team. And this is kind of a second consecutive week where this is true, where after the Kent State game last Saturday or two Saturdays ago, I think there were a lot of Georgia fans that both kind of expected the media to be pretty harsh on Georgia. I mean, kind of national media to be pretty harsh on Georgia. For the most part, it didn't really come. And after the game Saturday against Missouri, there was maybe a little bit more of that because it was another week in which Georgia didn't really look like Georgia. And certainly there was just the evaluation, well, this team can't be number one if it's going to play this way in consecutive Saturdays. Beyond that, there isn't necessarily this condemnation of what happened for Georgia, even though it didn't play very well against Missouri on Saturday. I want to show you an example of this from an ESPN writer. They have like these roundtable things they do where they kind of make playoff picks and you're kind of reevaluating all that throughout the, uh, throughout the season. And one writer in particular used kind of an interesting word in terms of how he would describe what happened for Georgia against Missouri. And I think it's an important context for all of us to kind of understand about where things sort of stand with Georgia right now. So let me show this from uh, Kyle Bonagora from ESPN. <laughs> Very funny. So our producer, if you're not watching a video, this is actually pretty funny. So our, uh, our producer, Michael Carvel, has a picture of Kirby Smart swinging a golf club, which is a very clever way of doing this because it kind of fits into uh, what the <laughs> – what the the guy says this is funny so Kirby swinging the golf club there the quote is this from Kyle Bonagora he says Missouri came this close from throwing a major wrinkle into this whole exercise meaning the chase for the playoff but Georgia's ability to pull out the win preserved the status quo for another week all of the major contenders have had at least one week in which their credibility was called someone into question which makes it easier to give Georgia a mulligan for looking mortal. And that's why the Kirby swinging the golf club thing is pretty funny. That's uh, very well done by uh, Michael Carvel, our producer, on that. And some of you, are, most of you probably are kind of aware of what a mulligan is. It's sort of a second chance in golf. You make a bad shot, you get a free chance, kind of go back and try that shot over again. In other words, we're not going to hold this bad shot against you. And it's interesting to hear the ESPN writer describing the Georgia game against Missouri as the kind of performance that he's willing to give Georgia a mulligan for because of the reasons which he describes. And this, this should be understood, is that nobody in college football right now is running away from the pack. At one point in time, it sort of seemed like Georgia was because it had dominated Oregon and it had dominated South Carolina. It sort of looked like Georgia was running away from the pack. But you'll also remember this. I said on the show at the time, that some of the hype that Georgia was getting around that time wasn't necessarily solely related to how Georgia was playing, but it was also related to the fact that nobody else nationally had really asserted themselves very much at all. Alabama had scuffled against Texas. Ohio State had scuffled against uh, Notre Dame. Clemson had not really looked very good in its opening game against Georgia Tech. And for the most part, some of that stuff still kind of lingers. That, well, Georgia didn't really look like the number one team in the country on Saturday, but has anyone really consistently throughout the year looked like the number one team? Thus far, the picture as it relates to the dogs is pretty muddy. 
But the picture related to Bama and Ohio State and Clemson at one point in time, Oklahoma seemed like they might be a playoff contender. They've now lost two consecutive games outright on the field. You know, USC starting to get some hype out west, but the truth is, you know, they've had some defensive struggles and there's really nobody that's lapping the field right now. And there's really nobody that can make a claim to having had played better more consistently than Georgia has thus far this season. So Georgia's got its issues and Georgia's got its, you know, stuff that it's dealing with, but no one seems to be, you know, punishing Georgia too heavily, certainly not condemning Georgia after a couple of bad games in a row because. Who else, you know, can you say that hasn't had that themselves? As I said before, all of the major contenders have sort of had their own moments in which they've uh, dealt with that. Now, that may be kind of one of the reasons in which Smart's approach these last couple of weeks when Georgia fans have been kind of beside themselves in some cases, certainly, you know, questioning what is it we're watching. As I said on Twitter on on Saturday night, I'm ready for Georgia to look like Georgia again. And it seems like for a while here, Georgia just kind of hasn't looked like Georgia. I'm not panicked about that, but I'm just noticing it. Many of you are kind of noticing that too. But what you may also notice here is, is that Kirby Smart's kind of not really beside himself right now. Kirby Smart hasn't come unglued about any of this. He's certainly not you know, uh, going on these epic rants about this and slamming his fist down the table. Now, what he's doing privately may be different, but what he's doing publicly is kind of casting a vision right now. And according to Smart, that while Georgia didn't play all that well against Missouri, the game itself and the conclusion of that game may have actually created an opportunity for the dog. So in light of the ESPN writers saying, hey, it's a mulligan for you, GA, you shake it off, you move on. Kirby says, hey, maybe it's more than a shake-off moment. Maybe it's a build-from moment because of what it took to actually pull the game out. This is how Kirby Smart talked about that going back to yesterday. Anxiety would be one of the things that you that you worry about with a young team and uh, really the first real road environment because, you know, the South Carolina game played out so different. You know, we, we started really fast. Uh, I guess we're up 14-0, 21-0 pretty quick, and the crowd never really – crowd really never got into the game took them out of the game we didn't do that the other night and so some of those youthful uh anxiety you know guys planning that kind of atmosphere for the first time uh where a team you know like last year's team they would have played in that a bunch of times so there's a lot of youth there but to be honest with you it was a great opportunity to see what we're about because i don't know that you could find any greater adversity than be down 10 points in the fourth quarter, resiliency, all those things. Um, but we got to make sure that, that we do a good job building on that and that we start faster and better. So I think it's really interesting from Kirby. What we would call a bad game, Kirby calls a great opportunity. Now, some of this is just sort of posturing and kind of maybe gamesmanship within the press conference. I don't take everything that Smart says in a press conference literally, nor do I think you should either. But nonetheless, that's the tone that he's trying to strike here of, hey, we were in a tough crowd. We never got that tough crowd in South Carolina because we got up so big so soon. And while you wouldn't have wished Georgia to kind of be in a game like that where it really had to fight to win, the fact that it did have to fight to win may have actually meant something. And I can tell you this. I, you know, I mentioned this on the show yesterday. That's, that Missouri crowd went from believing that they'd rather be playing anybody but Georgia to all of a sudden thinking, hey, we may beat the number one team in the country. I mean, it became believers quickly based on the early stage of that game there on Saturday. And Smart says, having been through that, that becomes a little bit of a scar tissue that you can use to your advantage in future games here this season. I, I find that to kind of be interesting, especially in light of an ESPN writer saying, eh, maybe a little bit of a mulligan for Georgia. You may don't make too much of a big deal about all of this. But beyond that, that's sort of the touchy-feely stuff and sort of the, I guess, hard-to-define, intangible part of you know what it takes to win, how you compare yourself to other elite teams. There are, though, continued specific issues in which we know that Georgia needs to work on. And while it's great that Georgia pulled out the victory against Missouri on Saturday, in terms of keeping pace with the national elite, there are just some areas in which we know Georgia's got to get better. And one of the things we talked a lot about on the show yesterday, especially with John Stinchcomb, the former Georgia All-American, is what appeared to be a really bad game for the offensive line. So, with all of that kind of top of mind for Georgia fans right now, when Smart spoke during his uh, weekly press conference yesterday, that was also a pretty big issue too. And there are a lot of different questions being asked about this group right now, including a lot of rotating where you see, you know, uh, Mims coming in and play right tackle. McClendon sometimes go over and play left tackle. You're rotating with the guards. You're kind of rotating offensive linemen right now throughout the uh, first half of the season, more so than most teams kind of typically have in the past. And Smart was asked yesterday, 
Is it time to stop doing some of that, identify your best five, and kind of go to work with those guys for the rest of the season? And once again, Smart seemed to be content to kind of keep doing what Georgia has been doing. This is Smart yesterday on the topic of that offensive line. Now, I don't look at it as a trim up. I mean, why, why would you trim up your offensive line? If you have guys that play quality football and they go against pretty good players every day in practice, uh, I think they earn the right to get an opportunity, right? Who plays at receiver? Do we play three guys? Not last time I checked. Tight end, Brock and Darnell roll in with 11 personnel. So you earn the right by how you play. And uh, if those guys continue to earn the right and play well, then then they'll probably play. I don't, you know, it, it has a lot to do with conditioning and stamina. You know, you got guys coming off injuries out there. Um, you got guys that hadn't played a lot of football, and some guys have. So we want to play the best five. But if that's not clear, then we feel like guys that can play winning football should play. And uh, I'm very pleased with, with that part of it. Can we do some better things in the run game to help them? Absolutely. Can they do a better job in the run game? Absolutely. But it's not totally on the offensive line. It never is. It's a, it's a team sport. So everybody wants to point the finger at them. They're not to blame for anything. We all got to improve. So interesting from Kirby Smart, uh, kind of shielding that blame from the offensive line and kind of putting it towards the entire team and Look, there's a chance that Smart's right about this. I mean, I, I'm not the kind of person that thinks of myself as smart enough to necessarily diagnose exactly why Georgia seems somewhat lackluster with all that there on, on, on Saturday. It just seems like the results themselves weren't quite what they needed to be. And I know there's been a lot of chatter, and Smart himself has kind of contributed to this, about the kind of blocking assignments that Georgia was giving itself, you know, kind of shifting from more the the zone-style blocking, what they call like the gaps, you know, blocking, and, you know, you get into like, you know, football language and, you know, everybody, you know, you know, getting real serious about, you know, football definitions on that. You know, this is one of those things yesterday that, once again, Smart was, you know, not all that eager to pay all that much credence to about the kinds of blocking assignments that Georgia was giving itself both late in the game when the rushing attack finally started working and the early stage of the game, in which Georgia really was having a hard time kind of getting anything going at all. Once again, Smart sort of shrugging off a question that a lot of Georgia fans are asking. This is Smart again on that from yesterday. Well, we run gap plays in every game. So if you look at the game, you see that we have the – I mean, every team does. Nobody really plays football anymore with just one run. Um, there's a lot of multiple runs in there. And you can have so many runs that uh, you can't run them all, right? The idea is to – have the right ones and execute them well and do things well. But, you know, the tape show what we talked about the other night, you know, we just didn't play real well uh, up front. They had a lot of momentum um, and we got to do a better job. Uh, we got to do a better job preparing our guys, but we also got to do a better job in game of uh, making good decisions and, and, and putting ourselves in a, a situation to be successful or more successful at least. So listen, here's where I have to be very honestly about something. I don't care that much about like zone blocking and gaps games and stuff like that. It's obviously important. I just don't personally care about it. It's what kind of like you've heard before. Like I don't care about the birth pains. I just want to see the baby. I don't care if you're throwing a fastball or a curveball. Is it a ball or a strike? That's what I care about. So whatever you know, blocking schemes Georgia wants to use, they just got to do better. They don't need to run the ball more. They need to run the ball better when they do choose to run it. So Smart clearly knows more about this than I do. I'll never pretend you know, otherwise, but it's the results that people want to see. And Georgia has gotten a little bit of a free pass now a couple of weeks ago. They're no longer ranked number one, but most fans don't really care all that much about that. Uh, they know that Georgia's still very much alive for every end-of-season goal that it wants to have. But it does need to show improvement. And even if Smart kind of shrugs off the topic, the offensive line may be the area in which Georgia needs to show the most improvement. And so taking a step towards getting that done this Saturday against Auburn seems like a pretty good place to start. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. It's presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us as we go for two in 22 and uh, stay on that path for Georgia, maybe winning a second national championship. Obviously, there's work to be done, but as we said before, there's work to be done for everybody. Georgia's not in some sort of special category because that is true, but this Saturday against the Tigers, uh, the hated rival that is Auburn, a good chance to kind of get some of that work done. So we're excited about all of that. By the way, speaking of doing good work, that's what our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia can do for you there as well. When it comes to foundation and waterproofing issues, these are serious topics uh, that affect you greatly. You know, you come off a weekend which you have some rain and you have the threat of rain and you think about that. For some of you, that's a very much anxiety-producing topic because you know when it rains, water's going to end up where it's not supposed to be, down in your basement or in your crawl space, in your garage. 
showing up and leaving evidence that it was there. Those wet spots, that 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 dampness, that that extra moisture that doesn't quite feel right. You know all about that. Or maybe for you, it's more like the cracks that show up in the walls and are there. And you try to pretend that you don't see them, but you obviously do. And you know that can be the sign of a foundation issue. And listen, the foundation of your home is literally supporting the thing that supports you. For most of us, our home is not just our greatest financial asset, but it's also kind of like the source of all of our comfort and memories and things like that. It's just, it is literally the center of our lives. And so protecting it and making sure that's well taken care of is of paramount importance. That's why Engineered Solutions of Georgia is such a great resource for you. If you've got waterproofing issues, if you've got foundation issues, they can come to work for you. After all, the word solutions is right there in their name. They are solutions-based company. That means they can provide a simple fix for you for smaller issues or a more substantial fix when the job requires that there as well. They've got an entire team of engineers on staff. There's nobody else in the market that can say that for you. Putting that kind of resource available to you to, to do the work that needs to be done, that's what they're capable of. They're also proud partners of UGA. It's fun to support those that support the dogs. It's important for me to certainly say thank you to all of you who support those who've been such good friends of ours and for a long time that's exactly what engineered solutions of georgia has been in fact they've been with us for such a long time you probably already know their phone number it's 678-ESOG now that's 678-ESOG now that's the number to dial to get in touch with our friends at engineered solutions of georgia all right, we're going to get Connor Riley coming up in just a moment. Looking forward to talking to him. It's normally Jake Fromm here on Tuesday. Jake had a previous commitment today. Not going to be with us, but we'll try to catch up with Jake again very soon. If not, we'll see him again next week. But uh, always a lot of fun with Jake. Today, though, Connor Riley back in a traditional spot for him early in the show on Tuesday. A lot to break down with Connor, including the comings and goings with the offensive line and what you want to see this Saturday against Auburn. We'll do a lot of that with Connor here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse. And it's presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. I mentioned this off the top of the show. This past summer, there was something said on our show that kind of got me stopped in my tracks here for a moment. David Pollock, who was a great analyst and obviously a great former player, Georgia, you know, uh, as, as you know, true a version of a DGD as, as there ever could be, was on the show and He was laying out in very realistic terms kind of what he saw from Georgia in its national championship season. He called it the greatest front seven he'd ever seen as someone who's been around football his entire life. And in looking ahead at the time, we were looking ahead to the start of the 2022 season, gave you a very sober assessment of what he thought that meant for Georgia here this season. And he put it in statistical terms. And at the time, I didn't believe him. At the time, I thought he was probably exaggerating the degree to which that Georgia might be missing some of the big names that it lost off last year's unit. But after the last couple of weeks, it might be appropriate to consider the possibility that David may have been right back then and what it means if he was. This is what David said this summer about what he expected from this version of the Georgia defense. Here's a reminder from our show. This defense is going to be at least 10 points a game worse than it was a year ago. Hmm. Okay? That sounds horrible, Brandon. That sounds terrible. They'll still be in the top 30 in scoring defenses in the country. Like, they're still going to be really yeah. good, but you're, but you're going from historic good, historic great, five guys drafted in the first round. That doesn't even count in the Kobe Dean. So, I mean, you're just, you're just talking about you're going from super special to something that's going to be different, but – Who's your leading sack guy? You got Beal back. You got Nolan Smith, who I think is your heartbeat. The best defensive player on that in the, on that on the team is Jalen Carter to me. So he's coming back next year. So you've got a, a lot of pieces to be very successful. Yes, they're going to have to be aggressive. Yes, um, you're going to have to continue to get the quarterback, and that's something that that group I think did prove they could do really, really well at a high level, which which sets you apart from many defenses of Georgia's defensive past, but. Um, again, they're going to take a significant step back, but they're still going to be really solid. So that's really interesting. There's a lot that David says there that I want to revisit here, but how about the original point, though, that he believes, he said at the time, this Georgia defense, the one in 2022, that at the time that he was saying that we hadn't seen this team on the field yet, it was going to allow 10 more points per game than Georgia allowed a year ago. Georgia only averaged about 10 points allowed per game a year ago. And after the first few games – it seemed like uh, David may have exaggerated the degree to which Georgia was going to miss the five first-round picks off last year's team. Georgia only gave up three points to Oregon, and Oregon was lucky to score those. Georgia shut out Samford and only gave up seven points on the road to South Carolina. This is a team that wasn't really yielding anything at all in terms of points, and 
a lot about this Georgia defense felt pretty similar to the way that felt a year ago. But since then, two consecutive Saturdays, Georgia's allowed 22 points in each of those games. It's sort of strange because it's a little bit of a strange football score. But nonetheless, in back-to-back weeks, Georgia has given up 22 points uh, with its defense. And you're left to wonder, is this more of what we're going to see later on this year where all of a sudden Georgia is kind of seeing its opponent get into the 20s far more than it did a year ago? And if that's the case, well, what do you do about that? I believe the answer on this is clear. And David Pollack actually said this in the clip. You got to be aggressive. You got to go out there and do something on your own defensively to negate the fact that opposing offenses may be about to get more against you than you're used to giving up. First three games of the season didn't seem like that was the case. Last two games of the season against pretty mediocre competition, Georgia's allowed 22 points each in both of those games. You're going to have to do something to counterbalance all that, I believe. And actually, I don't think you have to look any further than last Saturday's game as proof of this. Not for what was happening on the Georgia side of things, but what was happening on the Missouri side of things there as well. Because the overall numbers for Georgia on Saturday offensively, they actually look okay. The total yardage, even the rushing yards we've kind of talked about, some of those end-of-game totals actually don't seem all that bad. But why does it seem like Georgia was struggling during the game if the actual stats from the game don't look all that unimpressive? I think it's because of the way in which Missouri played Georgia. And Kirby Smart himself talked about this. He was asked, hey, what would you see from the Missouri defense against your guys there on Saturday? And what Smart said about Missouri, even though Missouri is nowhere near as good as UGA, what Smart said about Missouri is what I, as a fan, wish that people would say about Georgia. That when you're giving up more than you're used to, what do you do to counterbalance that? Well, here's what Smart said he saw the Missouri Tigers defense doing on Saturday. This is Kirby from Saturday night. Disruptive. I mean, they, they just attacked the line of scrimmage, you know, and you got to make them pay for it, usually on the perimeter. There's a lot of, I wouldn't call them unsound, but uh, uh, not worried about the pass. And they're really aggressive, and they make up for it by getting hits on your quarterback. Um, they timed up a lot of good pressures. You know, the Hopper kid from Georgia played really well for him and made some plays, and uh, they did a good job. I mean, listen to the words that Smart uses there. He says they were disruptive. They were attacking. They were aggressive. They were hitting the quarterback. They were creating pressure. And Smart also says they were taking some chances to do that. But if you're, if you're not going to just line up and maul people defensively on a per-play basis, what other choice do you have? This is ultimately why, even though the overall stats for Georgia looked pretty impressive, you know, Stetson Bennett had more than 300 yards passing, uh, this is why it actually seemed like it was a far better performance for Missouri defensively than maybe the overall number suggested. They had two sacks. They had nine tackles for loss. So sometimes when Georgia was gaining big yardage, all they were doing was gaining back the yardage they lost in the previous play that Missouri's willingness to take risks defensively actually worked for it on Saturday. And going forward, we expect Georgia obviously to be a much better defense than Missouri, but from a playing personality standpoint, I honestly wouldn't mind it if Georgia mirrored that personality a little bit more. If David Pollock was right in the last two weeks, suggested he might be, and that Georgia, instead of giving up 10 points per game, is going to have more games in which they're giving up like 20 or more points, then you're going to have to do something to to mitigate what you're giving up. You're going to have to do something to counterbalance that. You're going to have to negate that. Well, negative plays, that's what negating means. You're going to have to create more sacks. You're going to have to create more tackles for loss. You're going to have to commit yourself to being a pressure-packed defense. This is something that Dan Lanning, I believe, was very good in instilling in Georgia the last two years. Not just 2021. But go back and watch the per-game stuff back in 2020. Yes, it was a short season, and yes, overall, it was probably the worst defense of the Kirby Smart era at Georgia. But Aziz Ojari had a great pass rush year. Georgia, in general, had a very aggressive defense. Go back and watch the Cincinnati game. Georgia doesn't win that game that day without a great pressure defense in the backfield against Desmond Ritter and that Bearcats team all day long. That was the playing personality that Georgia kind of demonstrated, not just in the national championship year, but in the year before that as well and what otherwise might be a little bit of a forgotten season. And in the post-Dan Lanning era, I think that's the responsibility of this Georgia defense right now. Can you commit yourself to pressure? Can you commit yourself to creating negative plays? Because if you don't, 
you create an opportunity where opposing offenses can just have a little more success against you than you're used to seeing them have. So something to consider there. It's around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And we're, of course, happy to have them on the show. And I was traveling around a bunch this past weekend, a lot of you doing a lot of that same kind of stuff. And when you do, obviously, one of the great things to take with you anywhere you go is from our friends at Georgia's own credit union. It's that Visa Signature Platinum card because the stuff that you're already buying, the experience of buying it, the purchases that you're making made more enjoyable when you use the Visa Signature and Platinum card. First of all, there's all kinds of uh, conveniences associated with it. You can make uh, contactless payments, which is kind of a nice thing. But you get great incentives for using the card there as well. You get flex rewards, but can be used for just about anything. Gift cards, cash back, travel, merchandise, so much more. You can also earn up to $150 when you even open your Visa Signature, Platinum, or Signature card account. And there are some restrictions that apply, so you want to check out the website. For more information on this, visit georgiasown.org for complete details. That's georgiasown.org for a lot more on that. All right, so we got a lot to do on the show here today. Before we're done, there's some new movement with one of Georgia's future opponents that I think is worth considering here as we kind of think about what the rest of the season looks like for these dogs. We will get to that. But for now, aftermath of the game against Missouri, looking ahead to the game against Auburn, great to have Connor Riley with us as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take here on Dog Nation Daily today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. We will say hello to Connor Riley here, Kroger Fresh Take with him. And Connor, let me begin kind of where I began the show today, where I think for a second consecutive week, even though Georgia has now lost its number one ranking, I don't think you see wide condemnation of Georgia. Now, certainly Georgia fans are ready to see their team play better, and I'll put myself in that group there too. You're kind of ready to see Georgia look like Georgia again. But people kind of, you know, sort of forgave Georgia for the rough performance against Kent State and even the game against Missouri there's this thought of well everybody's played bad at least once so far this year and you know Georgia obviously still has its end of season goals intact and most people are still treating them like the same level of championship contender they were before that they've clearly got to play better but it's not like you know very many prominent voices are saying that they can't or won't simply because they didn't there on Saturday is that also the sense that you get of this which is that it's not that much fun for Georgia fans to see their team kind of scuffling here the last little bit compared to the expectation we have for them but it's also not the thing that really anyone seems to have condemned them for at least for right now yeah I, I think the the swing in terms of what this Georgia team has been you know their a game is clearly I think the best game in the country right now but the last two weeks, we haven't seen that. You know, I think Kent State was a C performance, and I think, quite frankly, Missouri was a D performance if you even give those out still. And so I, I think, you know, the fact that you've seen those wild fluctuations in terms of what this team has been, uh, you know, I can understand where Georgia fans are frustrated by that. But then from the national media standpoint, I think there's still probably a bet on what Georgia is going to be on a week-in, week-out basis to where they'll believe in – we've seen this team at their best we believe we'll get they'll be closer to their best than what you've necessarily seen in the last two weeks no, I think that's really interesting and obviously we've talked a lot about offensive line Kirby Smart talked about a good bit yesterday and this is one of those things where it's like using gap scheme using zone I, I sort of don't care I just want to see it work right it's like it's like the big cat figured out me that's like you know whatever whatever strategy <laughs> you want to use just figure it out and, and just let it just just do something that works and so, like, where do you think things stand with the offensive line right now? Attention being paid to uh, the rotations, uh, attention being paid to the kinds of blocking assignments the players are, are given, and also attention justifiably being paid to what I think right now are a little bit of a lack of results. What do you make of the situation with the offensive line, which seems to be the group in the biggest spotlight after the game against Missouri from Saturday? Yeah. So on the rotations, you know, Kirby was asked about this yesterday, and I think he kind of gets annoyed when you ask him about offensive line rotations based on his answer. But if you go back and look at the snap counts, you know, we talk so much about rotating guys in, Amarius Mims, Devin Willock, I think are the two big ones. Those guys only played six snaps on Saturday. Those guys were not being rotated in with the same frequency that they had been in the first four games of the season. So most of that game, you're pretty much looking at your starting five. Uh, in, in terms of Tresson, Ratledge at the guards, obviously Cedric Von Prahn at center, and then Warren McClendon and Bradley Jones at your tackle spots. And, you know, I'll be interested to see this week if that continues once again. Uh, you know, I know Kirby has downplayed it, and obviously Kirby knows a lot more about football than I do. 
But I, I, I just think there's something to be said about the offensive line and playing the same five guys all the time and having that consistency to where, you know, early in the year, I understand Kirby Smart wanting to build depth because as we saw last year, you're going to have injuries on the offensive line. And so, you know, if you have guys that you're able to get key snaps for early on in the season and able to move around in the event that something bad happens with an injury situation on the offensive line, you're in a good spot there. But as we get into the real meat of Georgia's schedule here, I, I think you want to be able to play your best five guys and have guys that you can count on. And so I'll be interested in seeing, you know, Kate Rallage, because and you and I touched on this uh, in the press box on Saturday night. Uh, you know, Kate Rallage has not played a lot of college football, and I know a lot of people had really high expectations for him, but he essentially had only played four snaps of any consequence in his first two years at Georgia. And with him being rotated in and out and around, he has not, I think, been the player that I think a lot of people thought he was going to be at this point in time. And so I actually think him playing more snaps, I think, is going to give him a better chance to continue to get better because maybe unlike, say, a Xavier Truss or even a Warren McClendon, he's so green in terms of the snaps and the big games that he's played that getting him more snaps in particular, because right now I do think he's the weak link on this offensive line, if they can just get him more snaps and get him more football experience, I think that's going to potentially help cure up some of the issues that we've seen with this offensive line. I talked about the Georgia defense before you joined us here a moment ago, and I know this may sound weird, but I almost wish like Georgia was playing more like Missouri. I don't mean results because Georgia's still better defensively than Missouri is. But Missouri had nine tackles for loss on Saturday. Kind of had two sacks, and that's one of the reasons why, even though the overall numbers for Georgia don't look that bad, Setsman had 300 yards passing, and even the rushing numbers aren't necessarily as bad as you think they might be. It seems like it was a better day for the Georgia, I should say the Missouri defense than maybe by appearances it should have been because they were so aggressive. They were in the backfield. They were making those impactful negative plays. And I played some audio of David Pollock from our show in the summer when he said, hey, this is a Georgia team that's going to give up 10 more points per game than it gave up a year ago. Well, after the first three games, that seemed ridiculous. Well, after the last two, they've been in the 20s both times in terms of points allowed. And if that's going to be more of the norm here moving forward, Connor, I don't see any other choice here but to kind of dial up the pressure. Whether that means you know getting a guy like Marvin Jones ready to play or, or being clever in how you're deploying other guys, finishing sacks when you have an opportunity to do. That's something that Nolan Smith just missed out on Saturday. But one way or another, you got to start getting quarterbacks on the ground and you got to start getting more plays in the backfield because this may be a Georgia defense that's just allowing more on a per-play basis than we saw in 2021. Well, I mean, that was always going to be the case, and I would – push back there a little bit in saying that some of those points that the Georgia defense gave up, especially in the last two weeks, was not because of anything they did, but because the offense gifted the ball to the opposing Fair team enough. on that Georgia defensive side of the field there. You know, if you, you know, obviously you can't take away turnovers, but I believe in the last two weeks, six of those points in each game were directly because of turnovers in that short side of the field. So, you know, if this team's giving up 16 points a game as opposed to 22, I I, I'm not sure how, how much we're talking about this, but I, I will say, you know, Georgia only played two outside linebackers on Saturday. Jalen Carter's only played eight snaps in the second half all season. I, they're not necessarily getting, I think, their best guys on the field enough to to pressure in the way that I think you and a lot of other people want to see them do that. And they only bring four outside linebackers with them to Columbia. That was a noticeable change from what they've done in the past there. And so I'll be interested. You know, I, I don't necessarily know right now if they have the personnel to be that attacking defense, uh, especially just given some of the injuries that they've been dealing with. You know, Snow Monday was dealing with a sprained ankle. Tresman Marshall is just always going to have a long-term knee issue there. And so they're not super-duper healthy right now in that front seven. And so I think they're trying to manage who, who can go out there, who can play, and sort of patchwork what they can do. And so because they're only playing so few guys on that front anyway – they're limiting the way they can go about attacking because they're just not as deep as a defense as they were a season ago. I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and certainly they've been punished by, as you said, excessively short fields, and that's all true. I'd also point out in the Oregon game, they also gave up a lot of yards too. You know, They, they allowed fewer points, and the yards they yielded suggest they probably should. So some of this kind of stuff sort of works out in, in the wash maybe a little bit as well. Well, I, I think by the end of the game, Oregon had only had like 320 total yards of offense there, and that's only 30 more than what they gave up on Saturday. But I, I largely see your point there. And red zone defense, I would note, probably has been a strength of this Georgia team so far this season. And so 
if you are looking at some encouraging long-term trends, that is probably one area that you would circle in. It's, you know, this team has not given up a lot of touchdowns on the season so far, and, and that is a big reason why they're able to win on Saturday against Missouri. I want to ask you a big-picture question here in a moment. Let me remind folks before that, though, this is our Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Riley here today. And, of course, as you start thinking about uh, this month of October that we're in, you start thinking about scary Halloween savings with our friends at Kroger. It's actually not scary at all. It's actually something really fun to consider. The decor you need, the candy you need, all the stuff to make your house the epicenter for Halloween in your neighborhood. Right there at your local Kroger, you can get that. Just stop by in store and see them. Or check them out at Kroger.com slash Halloween for more on that. It's Kroger.com slash Halloween for a lot more on that. So, Connor, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I don't know that my big picture perspective of Georgia has changed all that much. Um, I still think that the road games it plays late in the season, Mississippi State, Kentucky, are challenging road games. But I've sort of always thought that. I know there's a little bit of buzz around Tennessee right now, but the truth is Tennessee is – at least as good as I thought they've been. If anything, they've actually probably underperformed compared to expectations here a, a little bit. I still don't see this imminent challenge to Georgia in the SEC East. You know, Tennessee may win at LSU on Saturday. If that does happen, that actually doesn't mean all that much to me necessarily. That this is still a Georgia team that's not really going to be, I believe, com- competed with within the SEC East and still a Georgia team that kind of only measures itself against the elite teams in the country, and Alabama and Ohio State, teams like that. Yes, the last couple of weeks suggest that Georgia's got stuff to work on, but the overall outlook I've had for the entirety of the season hasn't really been altered. Is that true for you? No, I still think this is a team that's going to win the national championship this season, and I said as much before the season, and I still haven't seen anything, you know, to deter us from that. I think if this team gets Jalen Carter back healthy, which I expect to be, you know, at best in that Florida game, but probably maybe even more that Tennessee game, I, I think that's going to add in an important layer to this defense. As I think guys like Shmuel Munden and Jamon Dumas Johnson are going to continue to take steps forward. And I'm really interested in this week in seeing what A.D. Mitchell and Arian Smith bring back to this offense. I think Don Blaylock made some nice plays in, in a limited role on Saturday. I would like to see him get more involved with this offense going forward, just given what his skill set is. And if you're able to add dynamic outside receivers and Arian Smith and A.D. Mitchell to this offense, I do think that's going to help open things up because uh, watching that Missouri game on Saturday, Georgia just really didn't have a guy on the outside that was able to get really any consistent separation. And so when you're constantly having to scheme receivers open, that allows safeties to creep up. I don't think they're going to be allowed to do that if you have Arian Smith and A.D. Mitchell on the field. And so having those guys and having their presence is just going to open up everything else, I think, for this offense and some of the areas that we've seen them struggle. They didn't exactly create a lot of big, explosive plays on Saturday. Having an Arian Smith to stretch the field is going to open things up in the middle of the field for guys like Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, who I think right now are pretty clearly your best receivers. And also, you know, that's, I think, at some point going to help the running game is having those deep threats on the outside to allow, you know, maybe not the in-the-middle rushing, but at least some of the outside stuff that we saw have some success on Saturday against Missouri. So quick final point here. You mentioned Bowers and Washington. I have been adamant that they are not throwing the ball to Bowers nearly enough for my taste. He's just so far and away the best player on this offense that he's got to be utilized more like that. And when I say that, there are also some fans that say, and B.A., you got to include Darnell Washington in that conversation there too. It's obvious that Washington's a very good player and a very important part of this offense and you know one of the things you and I are talking about a little bit uh kind of traveling back from Missouri on Saturday is why does it seem like there is a little bit of a ceiling on how many touches he gets per game you know we've seen Bowers get five and six catches with regularity we've even seen him have double digit catches in a game before with Washington it seems more like it's the two or three catch type game which seems to kind of top him out here right now why do you think that is, Connor? Do you have an opinion on why Washington continues to be so valuable, but clearly not as many touches as maybe some fans would like for him to have? I mean, the biggest thing might be just plays on the field. You know, uh, you know Darnell Washington plays a lot. I believe among Georgia skill players, he was, I think, fourth in terms of snaps played. But he played 47 snaps against Missouri on Saturday. Brock Bowers played 71. He's just on the field a lot more than Darnell Washington is. And, and, you know, availability is the best ability. And obviously, Darnell deserves praise for the player that he has become and his ability to improve his physicality in terms of conditioning to be on the field that much. But, you know, Bowers has pretty much throughout his entire career been from day one a guy that is capable 
playing a ton of snaps, you know, and, and so because of that, I think that's a, just the availability of Bowers being out there on the field is what allows him, I believe, to separate from Darnell Washington. But to your other point on Bowers, I think you're absolutely right. He's had five receptions in the last three games. I think you've got to find a way to get him eight, nine, ten targets a game and really just put the ball in his hands and find a way to create mismatches because we even saw late in the game there on Saturday so many of the struggles that they had had in the red zone were because they weren't winning on first down. Well, the last touchdown drive, they find Brock Bowers for a little screen pass, and he takes it all the way to the one-inch line and allows Dejon Edwards to bury him on the next play. There's no reason, in my opinion, that they can't do that maybe two or three more times again. I'm not saying you have to get Brock Bowers double-digit catches in every single game because I think that's a way for him to sort of wear out and have essentially a Jamison Williams type Jamison Williams type injury at the end of the season due to overusage. But I do think that Georgia can get him, say, two to three more touches over the course of the game right now than what we have necessarily seen these past couple of weeks, especially when it's a close game. It's one thing, you know, when it's a South Carolina game and you're blowing them out and it's pretty much over at halftime. I think you're more okay with him ending up in the five-touch range, six-touch range in those games. But in a close game, like me, even we saw last year against Alabama, there's nobody in college football that can cover this guy. And I do think we – I think Georgia would be – Georgia would behoove itself – to find ways to get Brock Bowers from, say, five touches a game to eight or nine touches a game. Connor, great stuff. Totally agree. Thanks for your perspective on that. As a part of our Kroger Fresh Take today, we'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So very pleasant surprise to announce. I told you earlier that Jake Fromm not going to be able to join us today. Uh, he was – uh, previous commitment that he's taken care of, but guess what? Uh, Jake Fromm now says that he can pop on here for a couple of minutes. We won't be able to keep him long. He's very busy today, but about seven minutes from right now, we will talk to Jake Fromm here on the show today and get some thoughts from him uh, about what he saw from the game against Missouri and how you kind of move on from that. We'll do that with Jake here in just a couple of minutes. Before that, though, Cruise run the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Great time to be thinking about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, specifically our Dog Nation cruise coming up. April 24th, we're leaving out of Port Canaveral on Independence of the Sea. It's going to be going to Nassau, great port right there in the Bahamas, and perfect day, Coco Cay. And i got to tell you, the thing that sets a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation apart, you can point to a lot of different things. The entertainment on board the ship, uh, the specialty dining, the, the, the live entertainment while you're in there, the Broadway-style shows, all that kind of stuff. But for me, the big differentiator, which is a bigger word than I should probably be using, the big thing that sets Royal Caribbean apart is that great experience, that private island oasis, which is Perfect Day Coco Cay. And we're going there uh, on Independence of the Seas this April, and we want to take you with us when we do. So check out RoyalDogs.com. That's the website specially built by Jessica Slater, the travel agent who is specially selected by Royal Caribbean to help us book our Dog Nation cruise. She's got the website for you, RoyalDogs.com. You can find out all the information you need. And then you can give her a call at 770-718-9147, 770-718-9147. If you've just got questions, she can help answer those questions for you. Or if you're ready to book and be with me on board Independence of the Seas this April, uh, we're glad to have you there for that. Royal Caribbean going to be a great, great time, and we can't wait to see you there for that. All right, a couple of things here before we bring on Jake from here coming up in about five minutes' time. So... So we're Mississippi State. We didn't talk about this yesterday, but after blasting Texas A&M, has now entered the top 25 in both polls. And they were actually already favored against A&M last week, who was a top 25 team. So Mississippi State was probably already one of the 25 best teams in the country. Now they get the poll designation, you know, befitting that. Mike Leach was asked about this yesterday and kind of, you know, shrugged off the whole thing. He doesn't really care about that. But I do think it becomes another way of reframing the game that Georgia's going to play there later on in November. We've said over and over, for us, the the game's worth circling for Georgia, not necessarily Florida, because we don't think Florida's all that good. You know, the Tennessee game, this is still a home game for Georgia against a team that it really dominated last year. Don't expect Tennessee to be a huge threat to Georgia when those two teams play. I know the Vols are getting a little bit of hype right now. That's not something I, I buy into all that much. I think Tennessee's good, but we thought they were good already. Um, I, I, my, my overall opinion about Georgia compared to Tennessee has not really changed very much. But at Mississippi State, could be a challenge and it's the kind of thing that was kind of always true but now when you say it out loud on the road against an SEC team ranked in the top 25 assuming the Mississippi State Bulldogs are still there when this game is played now you get a little bit more of a sense of exactly what George is facing there that day the Kentucky game around that same time is a little bit that same type of vibe 
but Mississippi State has been one of the more impressive teams thus far this season. They get Arkansas on Saturday. That's a must-win for the Hogs. It's another chance for Mississippi State. That's actually a pretty fun one in the SEC West on Saturday for a future Georgia opponent. The big game in the SEC this week, drama on both sides for A&M and for Alabama. Now, obviously, the one thing that everybody has said is when we first looked ahead like October the 8th, it was a date everybody had circled because what this game would be like. And as it stands right now, there's not quite much, you know, circling on this anymore, uh, just simply because of the fact that A&M has turned out not to be very good. But yet the lingering controversy in the summer still kind of looms here a little bit. The stuff that, uh, that you know, Jimbo basically said about Saban, calling him a narcissist, you know, mocking him by calling him God. Uh, well, now Jimbo says, oh, we're all good. That's all in the past. And I'm sure it probably is. You know, two guys let their temper just sort of get the best of them there for a moment. But what a terrible time for A&M to be playing a game like this because Alabama will be extra motivated, not just because of what Jimbo said, but also because of the fact this is a team that Alabama lost to last year. And for A&M, that has been so bad that Jimbo Fisher has even had his $100 million contract called into question here. I just think it's the wrong time to be playing Alabama, even if Alabama does not have Bryce Young. Now, speaking of that, kind of a growing chatter around the Bama program related to Bryce Young and the fact that Nick Saban is both pushing back on the media because they want to know how they're going to use Jalen Milrow and kind of want to know what Bryce Young's status is and this is where I think you could see some frustration start to kind of bubble in here for, for Saban. We don't really quite know, you know exactly how hurt Bryce Young is. Saban's kind of shrugging it off, making it sound like it's not necessarily that serious of a deal. But for Bryce Young, you've got a lot to think about with your future here. And it'll be interesting to see if he actually comes back and plays again as quickly as Nick Saban. is almost intimating that he might be able to. Uh, So you could have some drama related to that there at Alabama. But one thing we do know is, you know, won't see Bryce Young on Saturday when Texas A&M comes to call. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And here on Dog Nation Daily, uh, we're going to get ready to welcome in the great former Georgia quarterback. He had the day off today, was not supposed to be with us, Uh, had some business he was taking care of, but he's going to join us right now anyway. Uh, Courtesy of our friends at Kroger, it's uh, Jake Fromm joining us here on Dog Nation Daily here today. Jake, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. Thanks for stopping by and talking some Georgia football with us here today. Hey, Brennan. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me again, and let's get right to it, brother. Yeah, no doubt about that. I know you know what it feels like to be on the road in the SEC. That crowd starts breathing down your neck. How did you think Georgia responded to that on Saturday? A game that ended up being closer than it was supposed to be, but Georgia ultimately ended up winning. What was your evaluation of what you saw from UGA? Yeah, so obviously it wasn't pretty. Uh, it's not what we were. It's not what necessarily the product we were expecting uh, them to put out. Uh, obviously, it is, it is very tough going on the road in the SEC uh, in a big time football game. Uh, they just got behind the sticks early in the first half. A lot of second and second and longs uh, and the turnovers. And so, anytime you, you give a team an opportunity to hang around with turnovers, uh, it's just going to be a tough. It's going to be a battle. Um, but what was great to see, we tell that say, what was great to see, though, was late in the game, the fight, uh, come back, and, and to win a football game there at the end. Uh, it's very, very good, very promising to see, and uh, it's really good to know they got a little fight in them. So in the early stage of the game, especially the first half, you know, it seemed like the passing game was having a hard time getting going. Ultimately, the Bennett numbers ended up looking pretty good. He throws more than 300 yards, but there were times in which it didn't really look like receivers were getting open, maybe not creating that separation you want to see, and maybe Stetson could have been a little bit more accurate on a couple of the throws that he made. Specifically with that part of it, you know, what were you seeing from the Georgia passing game on Saturday where Missouri seemed to have some success kind of going into a pretty aggressive form of man coverage? And for a while, it seemed like Georgia was having a hard time making them pay for that. Yes, so they did a really good job of bringing pressure and then mixing up those pressures. Uh, and so yeah, with pressure here and there, they got a lot of one-on-ones. The pressure was getting stepped in a little bit. Uh, had to find different answers, different quicker answers. Um, and so they could, because they did such a great job of bringing pressure and then mixing up that pressure, it was really hard for the offense, especially in the passing game, to find a rhythm. Uh, the, the quick underneath balls weren't really there because, like you said, the man coverage uh, was there. So nothing was really easy. Nothing was really given to them. Uh, kudos off to Missouri for coming in uh, with a great plan, sticking to it, uh, and executing on that plan. And one of the things I've said a lot, Jake, and I'll be the first to admit, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about here, but when it comes to a guy like Brock Bowers, who I think is pretty clearly 
the elite player in this offense right now. He's the one guy that seems very likely to be a future NFL first round pick. And you know, he had you know five catches or so on Saturday, but it seems like to me when your offense is struggling, that would be a guy you want to lean into even more. What is the process like for you as a quarterback of, you know, how do you make sure a guy like that gets the football enough? And I guess, is that easier said than done when it comes to the fact that the defense sort of knows that too, maybe? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. It's the plan early in the week. Um, and then, you know, you could have the best plan all week and then Missouri comes out and, there's a slightly different scheme. Okay, maybe that plans out the window. And then, okay, uh, even if it is a great plan, you still have to go out and execute on that plan. You know, for Brock to get the football in the passing game, well, uh, Stetson has to, one, deliver a good ball. We have to block uh, with the offensive line. Maybe, you know, they bring pressure, so now running back gets to stay in, and now he has to block somebody. So there's a lot of different things happening. Uh, I, I still am going to go back to Missouri did a really good job of bringing pressure, Stetson, I didn't think ever really got comfortable there in the first half throwing the football, um, and they just could not find a rhythm because they did a really good job with the pressure. Fast forward to this week, it's an Auburn opponent you know well. Some of your, I think, most memorable games maybe came against Auburn, 2017 SEC Championship game, home win in 2018, obviously hard-fought game that you won the division uh, there in 2019. How, how, I guess, maybe advantageous is it to have a game like this where it's easy to get up for Auburn after a couple of weeks of lackluster play, all of a sudden you look across the field, you see a hated rival. Do you think that brings some extra juice in a game like this on Saturday? Yeah, I hope it finds a, a more consistent juice. I think these last couple of games have showed them that they can't just flip the switch on. Yes, they're a really good football team. Yes, they have all the potential to be the best football team in the country, but you – you just cannot flip a switch and decide when you want to be the best team in the country. So uh, I think it's just going to be a test this week of uh, kind of getting out of that funk a little bit and showing up and, and playing some hard-nosed football, winning uh, the battle in the trenches, uh, letting everything else take care of itself and protecting the football. And, of course, I guess a little bit of a different feeling on the Fromm family side of this with your brother over there now. I, <laughs> I, I guess the Georgia-Auburn game probably feels a little different in the Fromm household than it used to, I guess. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. I mean, there's always something special about, about playing Auburn because of that. Uh, it's, it's a really fun time for, for myself, obviously my family and everything. So uh, we enjoy it. It's a fun time for us. And and, and for me, I, this time I just kind of get to sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy it. That's great stuff. Jake, I know you're busy. Thanks for being with us here today. We'll look forward to getting a chance to talk to you soon. Your perspective on Georgia football always so valuable for us. Sure. Thanks, Brandon. Good stuff there from uh, Jake Fromm here on the program today. You know, he knows what it feels like to be Stetson Bennett in a game like this. And, you know, he says, you know, hey, that, that pressure, you know, makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe makes you, you know, the, the decisions you want to make, maybe you're not able to make those as, uh, I guess, unencumbered as you'd like to be able to. I think that's a pretty interesting perspective from Jake Fromm there on a day in which we weren't expecting Jake to be able to be with us. He says, hey, I got some free time. I'm pop on here. I want to talk some Georgia football. That's Jake's commitment and you love that from him as a part of our show here today. And by the way, speaking of great commitments, that's what the Durham Law Group also has for you there as well. They're committed to you when you've been hurt or injured on the job in an accident, a situation like that. They want to make sure you're made whole and fully compensated for the damage that's been done to you. When it comes to this kind of personal injury law practice, they don't just practice law, they define it. Uh, that means that there's no fees or expenses for you unless you win. That's how hard they want to be able to work for you to really make you whole again to make you right again and to go to bat for you make sure you get what you deserve so you can contact them for more information at 844-4-GA-HURT that's 844-4-GA-HURT you can also find them online at georgiahurt.com that's georgiahurt.com for a lot more on that and as we kind of roll through the week one of the things we're going to be doing a lot more of is talking about this georgia auburn rivalry as i said before for a guy like jake Fromm, this is a legacy defining kind of series for him big sec championship win we'll all remember the the 2018 game you'll remember that as the game in which i didn't bring this up to jake but uh when kirby kind of faked the field goal and made gus malzahn so mad but it was kind of a reminder of you know the 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 intensity of that rivalry the hbtfd game uh after the 2019 like you know there's a lot to this we talked about john stinchcomb yesterday and the great speech that he gave at the end, or I should say at halftime in 2002, a game in which Georgia had a chance to win the division, something he had not done in program history up to that point in time. Got down a couple of touchdowns early, fought back, and 
You know, a lot of folks will kind of tell you it's what happened in halftime that day that helped propel Georgia to that victory. There are tons of memories about what has made this rivalry special. And when we think about that, uh, it's one of the things that makes the Deep South's oldest rivalry so much fun for UGA fans. And it's also a great opportunity as well to support your university here this week there too. There's a great kind of competition, good-natured, friendly competition going on between the UGA Athletic Association and the uh, body that kind of represents Auburn on this too. What we're calling this is Beat Week. It's a chance for you know, UGA grads, those that love supporting UGA to make donations and beat Auburn, not just on the football field on Saturday, but in the uh, donation space uh, there as well. It's the th- It'll be Georgia's chance to maybe get a third consecutive beat week win over Auburn. And you love that streak kind of growing at the same rate. The uh, streak on the field is growing there as well. So every time somebody steps up and donates, that gets Georgia one step closer to being able to do all of this again. Of course, we love the award work that the uh, UGA Alumni Association is doing, making dog fans feel connected to their university no matter where they live, but also kind of raising the money that allows the University of Georgia to continue to be such a beacon in our state, you know, kind of pointing the way towards a great future, both in terms of the folks that it's educating, but the research that it's doing to help us understand complicated problems in the world. That is really what UGA is all about. And so it's always a great time to support the University of Georgia on this, but it's especially a good time to do that here right now when uh, when you get a chance to actually beat Auburn in the process. So that's what Beat Week is all about. So make sure you step up and do that. Donate to the UGA Alumni Association here this week. Let's beat Auburn both on the field and when it comes to donations and uh, continue to support the great work that the UGA Alumni Association is doing, providing its own support to the University of Georgia. As we sign off here today, our golden shoe kind of comes outside the typical space today, but I just thought this video was too amazing not to show you've seen this a million times now so like the uh guy goes in the field last night on monday night football and then bobby wagner from the rams steps over and just makes just an absolutely decleating tackle on a dude with like no pads on or anything like that now listen this guy's out there in bobby wagner's sort of office so i guess he gets what's coming to him but the whole thing's strange the smoke coming off the guy but how much does the Wagner hit probably hurt here? I mean, I've been kind of hit very lightly on the sideline a couple times by players. When you're not wearing pads and they are, you really, really, really feel it. And so I'm always amazed when the sideline uh, reporters get hit and they just sort of dust it off and shake themselves off as quickly as they did. But Wagner last night laid the lumber on a clean tackle. I don't know how many uh, folks intruding on the playing surface you see anytime soon. So, uh, Bobby, we'll give you a golden shoe for today. Lousy, stinking Gators. We believe that a good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost. In 5,017 days, dogs, uh, that's how long they've watched uh, Florida be in a national title drought, a number that we think continues for a long time there as well. And Eddie the Blind Squirrel loves it. Gator hater countdown now 25 days away from Georgia being in Jacksonville to beat up on those lousy stinking gators we love that we'll see you tomorrow here on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take your comments on dognation.com or on twitter at dog nation daily a lot, a lot of folks reacting to uh some uga critics yesterday talking about georgia supposedly being exposed against missouri JDATL3 says, um, it's not hate to say that it's realism. People with a brain know this team isn't where it should be. I'm not sure what uh, joy juice people are on, but they are lacking in many areas. Should they be better? People say so. Recruiting rankings would suggest so. Can they improve to a championship level? I would think so, but they have a few weeks before Florida. I'm starting to wonder about offensive line coaching. Offensive line needs to figure it out. Stetson has to be more accurate. Someone has to complete some deep balls. DBs need to cover better. The numbers tell the story. It's not hate. Uh, so weighing in to say that Howard Moon also checks in to say the wind always blows hardest when you're at the top of the mountain, essentially shrugging off some of that criticism. Jim Wallace says exposed, he asks, perhaps an opportunity to improve areas in obvious need of improvement, maybe. On the other hand, fourth quarter exposed just how quickly and efficiently and well the dogs can take over a game. In the same vein, the first 75% of the game, especially the first half, exposed the abilities of our dogs to stay within range of victory, even playing what might have looked like a very bad version of football. He says in 1980, we had some near losses. Our game against Florida exposed our weaknesses and deficits, but we won the game. Winning exposes a fact. In the SEC, it's elimination gauntlet. We're still running. We're still undefeated. Go dogs. Strong words from Jim Wallace and agreed by BDW3184, who says, 
and the degrees a thousand percent. We were no more exposed for our shortcomings as we were for our success in that game. The ability to efficiently take over a game in the fourth quarter should be just as telling of the character of this team as any drop pass or inaccurate throw might show. These are young men, after all, much younger in experience than last year's team, but they still found a way to come from behind to win the game. That exposed as much about these players as the need to see uh, gain experience invaluable as the season progresses. He says the telling clue was Coach Kirby's calmness and demeanor during the game. There's no doubt that Kirby was you know, kind of calm throughout a lot of that and not you know, turning over tables and showing a lot of agitation. So I think the fact is, and this is something we've talked about for a couple of days now this week, is that there is still a lot about Georgia that we need to know. And, you know, it would have been wrong to effortlessly proclaim a couple of weeks ago that Georgia was definitely going to win the national championship, just as it would be wrong now to effortlessly proclaim without really much consideration that Georgia is somehow not going to get there either. The football is to a degree a mystery. It kind of unfolds itself as the season goes on. And, you know, Georgia is in the fortunate position of being able to talk about things it needs to fix while also knowing that it did get a victory, something that not every team in the same situation can say they may have been able to pull out. So it was clearly not Georgia's best day, and for the second consecutive Saturday, you're forced to say that. But for the fifth consecutive Saturday, you're also forced to acknowledge that Georgia keeps right on winning, and winning is indeed the name of the game. So good comments. And thank you for being here for our podcast, Cool Down Today. Big thanks to our friends at R.S. Andrews for making it possible there as well. Air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. That's what you can trust them for. They show up on time. Uh, they do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. You can uh, depend on them for that. And if your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. So find them online at rsandrews.com. And, of course, we'll see you back here tomorrow as well for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.